0: in to another episode of Turn the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I'm Kieran Steckley. With me, as always, is a man who's got threads, but he ain't on threads. He is Cody Stavenhagen. How you doing?
1: Doing good, Kieran. I was afraid you're gonna start out today's pod with like a Barbie reference or something. So I'm glad <laughs> you didn't go that direction.
0: No, no, no. I although it did cross my mind. I I have to. Uh, I, I have it. I, I have to admit that. Uh, but a social media inspired opening today because this week we got to see max Clark, i say we you and whoever else was at Comerica park on friday got to see and hear from one max clark the third overall pick in the 2023 mlb draft a guy who you know he could have been an extra in the barbie movie for all we know i haven't seen it he definitely has uh he definitely has the clout to try to pull that off. I mean, Michael Sarah's in it for God's sakes. But anyway, <laughs> uh, I'm just kind of curious. It, 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 it's funny. Max Clark is a content guy. That's part of his like personas. He's this big social media star, um, and he's providing us great content the past several weeks uh, on this podcast. So shout out to Max Clark, friend of the podcast. But you got to hear from him. You got to you got to see. Uh, See him kind of interact with guys on the team. It's always kind of a cool thing, I think, when these higher draft pick get to come to Comerica Park. We were kind of robbed of something that I think is really cool. We'll get to that in a second. But uh, seeing Max Clark at Comerica Park, uh, Cody, what, what kind of stood out to you and also hearing from him as well? Yeah,
1: I'm sure we've got some, some Michigan Wolverines who listen to this pod and, and plenty of college football fans. He's like baseball Chase Winovich. The former Michigan linebacker. It's not just the blonde flow. It's like the whole, it's it's just like this whole personality is a thing unto itself. And he, he embraces it. And you're, you're trying to kind of figure out like, is this contrived or is this not? But I covered Winovich for a little bit and there was never an off switch. And he was actually a little more introspective than you might think, just like, you know, watching him play or hearing a, an interview or whatever. Starting to get very similar vibes with Max Clark. haven't been around him long enough to know if there's an off switch, but he's got this whole brand, and he, he embraces it, and he's walking around just um, shaking hands and kissing babies like he's a 10-year veteran. He is made for the dog and Pony show. That is the day when the Tigers trot out their first-round draft pick around Comerica Park. Talked about his love for fashion. I do have to knock him, though. He's wearing Nike Dunks, right? Great. look cool matched his suit but he had some visible adidas socks with the Mm. nikes what are we doing don't tell me you love fashion and you're out here making a simple simple fashion mistake
0: you know i bet you he's probably just like uh auditioning to see who will pay him the more money see
1: oh now that would be smart i do remember torkelson's it was 2020 summer camp Torkelson was wearing different brand cleats, like, every day. And I was like, he's got to be trying these out or showing them off or something. And he ended up signing with New Balance, which, like, really? New Balance? But
0: whatever. Hey, you know, that's all, Hey, if, if they show you the love, they show you the they, love.
1: They, hey, they, they, they must have ponied up the money. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's just like Puma getting into the basketball game the past several years. It's like, you all know, right, you, you got to right. start somewhere. Good get for them to get the number one pick at the time. Uh, So, yeah, you know, the Max Clark thing's interesting because he does – there's a little bit of a dichotomy just from afar with with him. With He's obviously got this rugged, hard you nose. Know, we talked about all the cliche last week about how people describe him on the field, but then he's got this sort of content creator personality like away from it. It, it is kind of interesting. And again, the guy is 18 and a half years old. So it's going to be very, very interesting to see him kind of how he develops player-wise and personality-wise, because, I mean, he's going through a whirlwind of change right now. Excuse me, people have to bear with me. I got a little bit of a sore throat. My wife was sick all week, and it finally got to me. Uh, in regards to the plan for him, so I I always like it when the draft pick gets to take some BP in, in Comerica Park, and then you, you you read like from the beat writers, it's like, oh, man, like, you know, he was clearing the fences easily, or he looked at home, or, you know, I think for the player, it's probably a really cool thing, too, to be able to, like, this is your future home. This is where you're going to be playing 81 games out of the year or whatever. I think it's an aesthetic that I am attracted to. Didn't happen for Max Clark. And I'm sure this is one of those things that I admit is meaningless in the grand scheme of things. But I still like it. I still want to see it, read about it, want it to be a thing. I think it's great for him. But uh, no BP for Max Clark at Kaverica Park. And he cited something about, like, workload management. In my head, I'm like, you're 18 years old. You know, like, (laughs) like, yeah. you're, you're, you're down in Lakeland doing your thing, which is good. That's what you should be doing. He's being a professional, but you couldn't have like adjusted the workout a little bit to be able to take some BP in Comerica Park. I feel like that was something that easily could have been done. Uh, so that's my overreaction to something that doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things, but it's like, come on, take BP. Like, like that it's, it's, it's a tradition of sorts, I would say, but I, I I just think there's like no negative to it. So why not do it? So that's just my thing, whatever.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's a that's a fair argument. That's what the people want to see. I'm sure Max Clark would have loved to hit. He talked about Miguel Cabrera was razzing him for not being able to hit, and then he, he kind of told him why, and then Miguel was giving Scott Harris and uh, some of the player development guys some crap for it. So, number one, that's hilarious. Number two, uh, I guess I'm going to contradict myself because we've talked about the Tigers using more technology, having this you know red-yellow-green system. And hopefully, having some science behind the decisions they make with players and how to keep them healthy. I would assume there's some science behind them thinking Max Clark needs, you know, a break or whatever. At the same time, I have a very hard time believing uh, a short BP session at 18 years old is going to have any impact on his health over the long course of his career. So, doesn't it? That, that just feels like overdoing it to me. I don't know. I don't know what data they have. I don't know what, what's up. Maybe he's already injured, and we just don't know about it, because uh, th- that'd be believable, too. <laughs> uh, by the way, his first pitch was like terrible. He threw out the first pitch, and he he, uh, he I'm sure he has a great arm. He just didn't try very hard. It was like they told him, like, don't throw it too hard. But he, like, lollipopped it. It's like, bro, you're the number three overall pick. What are we doing? Let the kid have some fun.
0: I know. Like this is look, I understand. Look, he's a professional. He's working hard, all that stuff. But at the same time, like it's a kid's game. He's a kid. He's he's going through all this stuff. Like let, let let's let's have some fun. This is a fun game, guys. Like and this experience for him is once in a lifetime. You're only going to go out there once to, you know, be the team's number 1 draft pick and and all that stuff. I mean, I will say this. If if we're going to talk about things that are really concerning, you know, He's gonna throw him from the mound, you know, you actually are like a you know, a pitcher. Right. Yeah. come on, man. What are we doing? What are we doing? There are ways. Didn't Kate Cunningham throw from the mound? I think he did, didn't he? I think he did. He did. He absolutely <laughs> did. So, look, I mean there 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 are ways to go about this, but in all seriousness, I'm not gonna accuse this regime in Detroit of uh not thinking things through. So I'm assuming everything that kinda went through this was something that was well-planned for a reason and all that stuff, which brings me to, you know, he's, you know, he's a high school player, so he wasn't playing all that, all that, you know, his season ended a while ago. We're now basically into August. He's a guy that I think could use some some live baseball reps if we're going to kind of get him going, you know, next year. But I don't know, has anyone really shared like the plan for him? Because I, yeah, I think I, it'd be nice to get him in West Michigan just to get a taste. You know, just get a taste. Uh,
1: yeah, I don't, I don't think we're going to get him up to West Michigan. I think, you know, I, I, I asked him kind of about this because all the questions he was getting were kind of the show pony stuff. Like, tell us about your social media and tell us this and tell us about how you want to be a role model and how cool was this and all that. And, hey more power to him. And he has had an incredible amount of just cool experiences at 18 years old over the past few weeks, getting drafted, coming up to America park. Um, he's already been stationed down in Lakeland before his trip to Detroit, you know, doing some workouts and everything. But I asked him like, how ready are you to just put on a uniform and go play some baseball? Kind of trying to tap into that other side of him We've talked about, and he, he did kind of light up at the question. He's like, yeah, I haven't played in seven weeks. Um, cause there is a weird gap, especially with the draft now in July between the end of high school seasons and, and draft time. So he said, he's going back to Lakeland. He'll kind of ramp up some more hopes to get in games soon. There didn't seem to be a lot of clarity and it sounded to me just based on kind of the tone that, uh, they're in no rush to get him into games. Maybe he'd like to get into games a little quicker than he actually will. I'd imagine he plays in the complex league a little bit and probably gets up to low A Lakeland at some point um, would be my guess. If you think Riley Green is the best comp for him, Riley Green flew through the minors at 18. That was back when he had short season A ball, though. And then he got to West Michigan, which at the time was low A, not high A. So really, Lakeland would be the equivalent of finishing where Riley Green did. And even that was... Uh, considered a pretty big jump for Riley at the time, given there's no short season a ball. I think it makes sense. Like it, it, as long as he's not struggling terribly in the complex league, like give him a little taste of Lakeland, just to, just to say you did. Um, but really this next few months is about, you know, getting on the same page with player development, making sure his body's right, getting him healthy, um, and then next year is when you kind of really start the the development ramp and you get an idea for what the timeline for Max Clark could be. Everything that happens in the next few months is probably not gonna have a big impact on his career.
0: I just wanna go back to the second for a second to the Miguel Cabrero wanting him to do BP thing. Uh, can you imagine being eighteen years old and one of the greatest hitters of all time wants you to take some BP, wants to watch you take BP and you gotta tell him, nah, bro. Wow. And his son,
1: his son wanted to watch Max Clark take BP because his son follows Max Clark on Instagram, knows who Max Clark is. That's crazy. I cannot imagine that. No.
0: I mean, I, I, I I'd probably be like, all right, I'll take a couple hacks. Like, I, I can't tell what are you gonna tell Gil Cabrera? <laughs> right. no to start your professional oh, yeah, career. Like,
1: all right, all right, come in the cages with me <laughs> real
0: quick. Like, someone distracts Scott. <laughs> um, but yeah, and. I, a side note too, I I really did love and AJ kind of says a different version of this every year, but it it still like tickles me when he it's like oh you know we talk about the dog and pony stuff it's like oh well, what do you remember about your draft day and and he always <laughs> he's like. Yeah, I just got a what you, a plane ticket to Destin or whatever.
1: A plane ticket to Modesto, oh, Modesto yeah.
0: <laughs> and uh, no name on the scoreboard, so I thought that was pretty fun. No
1: name on the scoreboard, not the same signing bonus. We get it, AJ. You poor second-round pick. <laughs> Must have been tough for you.
0: Poor guy with your Stanford education. You know, like it was, it was tough sledding there for AJ Hinch. Uh, but in in terms of, the like, when we talked last Clark had not physically signed yet and then a couple days later I believe he he put pen to paper and it seems to me that the Tigers we talked about the draft as a whole like kind of executing a plan and re- regardless of how these guys are going to turn out I fair I feel pretty confident in saying like they executed a plan with their draft selections and then they got basically everybody that they're banking on sign. And there was a little bit of a McGonagall, like what's going on here type deal or whatever, but he ended up signing. And so the theory of taking Max, giving him the floor, the number four slide and using it to get McGonagall and, and, and some of those other kind of higher ish and players seems to work for Scott Harris. So a little victory left for Scott Harris. I feel like basically everything you, he wished, he could accomplish in this this draft. He did. There's not going to be a lot of drama come signing period, which I'm not sure if I ever really anticipated it, but, uh, you know, there was a 24-hour period where it was like, are they going to lose McGonagall to Auburn? You know, no disrespect to Auburn, but it was like, it was just... It just went on a little bit too long yeah, for my
1: taste. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think anyone had actual insight into McGonagall's decision-making there. Like, it, it was taking a little bit, and he had some leverage, so it's probably natural to think he was probably advised to take a little bit. And He's 18. He had the opportunity to go play at Auburn. That is a real decision. I have no idea what was going through the kid's head. I didn't love the uh, sudden panic on certain circles of twitter and then he signed like hours later it was like okay like that's probably exactly what his agent <laughs> wanted to happen um i don't know the bottom line is he signed You signed 18 of 21 prospects really hard to assign grades for an mlb draft because look, we just don't know about any of these guys but on paper hey it looks like an a draft from the tiger like i think you can feel good about pretty much everything you did and that's even with the the slight, I don't even know if controversy is the word, but the surprise of taking Max Clark over Wyatt Langford, now that we're a little bit removed from that, now that you have the rest of the class signed, there's some really intriguing players here in later rounds, um, I'm, I'm excited to follow several of these guys throughout the minor leagues and see what happens.
0: Yeah, for sure, and uh, for the record, Keith Law, front of the podcast, he went and updated his top 60, and he, he had pretty big jump for some tigers there was max clark comes in at number 24 and th- again this is overall oh. all prospects in baseball so like the jackson holidays uh, wyatt langford was the highest ranked of any in the the class i believe at like 12 or uh he was second to cruz cruz came in at like oh, 6 cruz, okay. and langford came in at 13 and like skeens was like i think he was like not no was it, uh, he was like early teens i think or Maybe like 16. I'm I think sorry. he's like 18, 19. Yeah, maybe 16. I'm know. sorry.
1: We're, we're out here just seeing inaccurate. I, I'll look, so it, up. I'll class, on look it up. I'll have the producer look it up in a second. Anyway, Max Clark was ranked slightly below those guys. Not that the difference from 19 to 23 or 24 means anything at this
0: well, point. Well, if you're. If you don't want to be the press, don't look at this list because it's got like guys like Meyer and Lawler like at the top and it kind of brings you down.
1: I, I, th- I thought the fact that Jackson Job cracked the top 60 was pretty encouraging. And by the way, Jackson Job kind of shoving. Granted, he's still in low A. He's expected to go up to high A probably after one more start. But since coming back from his injury, he's been really good. And I'm hearing the, the Tigers player development people are just in love with these new pitch shapes he's rolling out. So I don't know. Jackson Job's stock, once again, rising a little bit. Yeah,
0: we'll talk about him a little bit later. By the way, Skeen 16. So number one overall picks, 16, like, according to Keith Law gets in at number sixteen. So
1: you can feel and, and Colt Keith is now getting his love from Keith Law. Oh,
0: Big time. So much love, like almost. I read the uh, we don't have to you know quote him verbatim, but basically I read it and I was like, why does any have? colt keith as the number one prospect like you just like <laughs> you read it <laughs> it was like he's
1: the greatest player ever except his d de- is the defense but i think he said the equivalent of if he can stick at third or second he will be a star yeah. which that's those are bold words especially i don't think keith wasn't colt not on the preseason top 100 from keith Love.
0: <laughs> yeah i mean that was the, that was high praise and then you know I don't know. I watched Colt. I went. I went to Toledo one night
1: this week. Um, didn't really see Colt tested much defensively. There was one ball hit, I think, to his backhand side that he had to range over for, and he he got to it. wasn't super fleet footed, and then he bobbled it, and he he didn't make the play. So just one sample, but um, that was my that was what I saw from Colt Keith at second base.
0: You know, I'm starting to get a lot of. You know, there are a couple of draft picks that the tigers had i think it was this one was in regards to max anderson by memory serves and then and this little blurb that keith law wrote about colt keith is there's a lot of throwing out the uh maybe first base thing for some of these guys you know what I'm well, there's
1: like four of these guys it's a little bit of a problem i think i mean like i've said like it's okay to have one or two of these guys you can't have you're gonna have Max Anderson and Jace Young and Colt Keith and Justin Henry Malloy and I want to say there might be a couple others like in this draft class. They can't all play first <laughs> base. They can't all DH. Kerry Carpenter, you you can include. You see the Morosi port like there's robust trade interest in Kerry Carpenter.
0: I, I, was, again, I, I'm
1: I, I I'm I'm questioning that one. Morosi also said the Tigers were interested in William Contreras. Uh, Wilson Contreras this offseason, and they weren't. So I don't know.
0: I mean i I tend to think like again stuff like that that did pop out to me. It's like stuff like that gets gets out for a reason. I don't know.
1: I was kind of trying to figure out where that came from. I used to think some of these Morosi things came from Alavila, and I, I don't think Alavila is in Miami. Weaken Kerry Carpenter <laughs> rumors tomorrow. See, well, right now. there's
0: an argument to be made that it benefits the Tigers to put that out there because it makes them seem like, a, like some of their less marquee just because he wasn't a high end pick. Like players are desirable and it makes the franchise look a little bit better. I think that I think you could sell me on that from the Tigers perspective. Uh, I don't know if Kerry Carpenter's got some, I don't know who his agent is, but if his agency is thinking, like, hey, I'm this my guy's not getting enough love for being like a pretty dang good player. Uh, You know, maybe something like this would, would help. And so, and maybe just other teams are just trying to gauge reactions by saying like, yeah, I've, you know, I got buddies around the league. Everyone kind of likes this carpenter kid, but Scott Harris won't, uh, won't engage with us. Oh,
1: I I have heard a little buzz that like the Tigers are making it clear. They're not just in fire sale mode, which I don't know if anyone ever thought they are, but uh, they, you know, and it's, way before the trade deadline still. So I think I think the Tigers are playing their cards uh, smart. So this this kind of dives into another topic, but like one thing that's come up, are we sure the Tigers are going to trade Eduardo Rodriguez and Michael Lorenzen? I think there's kind of some buzz, like what if they only moved one of these guys? Because uh, although they're not actually a good baseball team, you know, hey, five and two road trip after the All-Star break, still within shouting distance of first place you want to maintain some positive momentum I think at least you know the guys in the big league clubhouse do how much does that matter would that actually impact your trade decisions um, I don't know the answer to that but I think that that is an interesting discussion we talked about it like I think you can move both those guys because you do have reinforcements but do you really feel good about Fieto and Went both in your rotation for like all of August or September, I guess would be the question there.
0: It's tough. I mean, I think, but if you don't trade these guys, like, I don't think you can
1: lose either of them for nothing. I don't think that's smart. The idea is like, could you, could you, Lorenzen especially probably, could you resign? Could you negotiate an extension with, we talked about that last week. I, um, I think it would have to be an off-season thing if it happened, but I, I guess that would probably... I think if you're not going to trade Michael Lorenzen, you better find a way to get him back here.
0: So I think we need to kind of, as we get closer to the trade deadline, kind of realize the spectrum of terms, especially when it comes to being sellers, quote-unquote. Ma- the majority of teams... I feel. Tell me if I'm wrong here. I feel like the majority of teams at the trade deadline would like to be some soft version of a seller. You have an expiring contract, you would like to maybe just get something, you know, you're not a guy you're not in love with new regime, new coaches, disagree, you know, blah, blah blah all these things. There's not that many teams that are actually like full on aggressive at the trade deadline typically. Now, this was probably an outdated notion, I will admit, because with the expanded playoffs that, you know, the idea is that that's supposed to kind of change. But Run offices love a couple things more than anything else. And one of them is uh, controllable players. <laughs> and so they like to get rid of players they don't have control over and get controllable players in return. So when you say like the, when people say like the Tigers are sellers, it, I think it's important that you know there. It's not a fire sale. All right. It's just like you have assets that you can move to gain more beneficial for the long-term health of your team assets so the lorenzen eduardo thing we'll get into that a little bit more later but if you're scott harris i think you could easily sell trading both of them and be like this is just the way of the team or whatever and lorenzen you know for the long-term health and lorenzen is pitching like he's trying to get traded for juan soto uh because <laughs> he's got like i think was it 21 and a third uh con- yeah you
1: know he's been absolutely man. shoving ever since he was named an all-star Sometime, sometimes right? you gotta like admit excited. Ah, i'm an all-star sometimes now, yeah.
0: you gotta admit when you're wrong or whatever and i'll say like look man i snarked a little bit at you being an all-star but credit to you since credit to you since and trade stocks on the mm-hmm. rise
1: probably why you gotta move them and that's You know, some people ask, like, could the Tigers be buyers and sellers? And I think in an ideal world, yeah. And also you look at the state of the franchise. This isn't 2017. You're not trading Justin Verlander for uh, a package of prospects. You have some guys you can move, mainly Erod and Lorenzen, that it makes sense to move. And you're going to get young players back. I think, you know, I got an email uh, asking, would you rather have pitchers or hitters? Like, I think hitters is is the clear answer there, but maybe a way to make a trade more palatable. You get a little bit of a, a, a throw-in pitcher in return, a 4A type guy, you know, a guy who could help your depth. That's how I'd answer that. The original point, I think you want to get guys who are close to the major leagues, or maybe even a, a guy who has a little bit of big league time. I mean, look, it, you know, Maton Veerling. Types. Maybe you want someone a little more proven than that, but that was you selling an established asset in Joe Jimenez and getting young players in return, but it wasn't like a rebuild or teardown type trade. It was a trade that was meant to help the Tigers in the the uh, short-term future, and I think their deals at the deadline will ideally look – I don't know if they're actually going to get guys who've played in the big leagues, but I think you want to get guys who can be part of next year's major league team.
0: I think that's accurate, and I also, you know, for anecdotal purposes, you can't get that much more crowded in Toledo. Like it's it's pretty crowded over there, so like some 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 shaking up is kind of necessary. You can't just load up on triple A players, and there's not going to be any development to be had. So that's I mean, true. That's, that's a good point. That's Something that I feel like should be part of the calculation. How much you know we can debate, but I feel like that's something that I'm sure Sky Harris is looking at, um, and that obviously affects the guys that are already up in Detroit. Uh, by the way, uh, th- I'm gonna spurn this on you real quick, Cody. Any hot Maton takes right now? You know we've seen them for a little bit. Any 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 hot Maton takes? Because I got I got I got a take on Maton that I think just like it's okay for him to play right now. It's okay, it's okay. The 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 Maton experience, the Maton profile. Every team has that. Every team has a guy that you're just like, it's it, it, you know it, when it's when it's good. There's something in there. We gotta unleash it, but it happens too few. And how do you get better? You gotta play him. Every team has a position player like that. All right, and it's fine as the team is currently constructed to give him opportunities. That's it. I'm not saying I predict that he's going to be an everyday player. As of right now, it's looking like it's not going to happen. However, it's okay right now to play him at the clip that he's playing. I think it's okay.
1: That's all. It's just okay. Yeah, my mates mate, say I don't think he got enough time in AAA. He got like, what, 29, 39 at-bats down there. We talked about getting a little bit of a reset. and like I guess maybe that was the, the thinking, but He was brought back up, I think in large part, because Tigers just don't have anyone else. Jonathan Scope, they had the DFA. Tyler Nevin um, is less worthy of playing in the major leagues than Nick Maton right now. That that leads you to the Colt Keith question. Guess what? Colt Keith's in a little bit of a minor slump in AAA right now. Like, this is why he wasn't going to shoot to the major leagues. It's going to take a little bit here. I think by the end of the year, if Maton's still hitting 160, like, Maytown option, Colt Keith promoted would make a ton of sense next month, but for now he's there because he is young. You think he has some potential, and you just don't have a lot of other guys. I don't love seeing him as much as we're seeing him. I don't love seeing him in the lineup. I think he'd benefit from some more time in Triple A. So again, this is why I think you need more hitters because you just don't have the hitters in your organization to create uh, any other option.
0: You know. It- when the Max Clark thing we were talking about earlier in regards to, you know, you know, just go out and play baseball. That's how you get better. You hadn't played baseball in a long time. Maton being hands on from the major league coaches, like y- you're probably gonna get a pretty solid answer. Like I don't think we're gonna go through a Jamer Candelario thing with Nick Maton. I think we're, I mean, we probably do have an idea right now, but we're we're not gonna look at him as all right. There's your starting you know, third baseman. I think we can probably comfortably say that. But could he be one of your utility guys? That's the question that still needs to be answered. And the potential is in there, whether he actually reaches it. As of now, it's not looking like it, but it's like, what does he do? What he does is he has pop from the left side, potentially. And you got to try to see if you can get that out of him. And if you can't, it's fine. You tried. All right. But I just feel like this team right now, this year, if this was like next year, and they were five games above 500 and four games back of uh, the division. I'd be like, all right, what we're, you know, what we're doing here with this Maton thing. But you gotta understand where you're at here, I think, and and also what the you know the roster construction aspects of doing all this. Like I just think it's okay. It's okay. Like he he's. You're gonna let him figure out whether he can play or not. You're doing your due diligence. That's really my main thing.
1: Yeah. He's in 165 through 78 games. He's a 64 WRC plus. I'm tired of watching guys 64 WRC plus. We got a lot of them around here, seems <laughs> like.
0: But until like reinforcements are armed and ready to go, this is just
1: you're right I think the the idea is next year's Tigers roster this won't be a thing I hope I'm right in that regard I guess a lot of that is banking on Colt Keith and Justin Henry Malloy being what we think they are or if Justin Henry Malloy has a 64 WRC plus at this time next year it could happen you know like,
0: like-, like my big thing is he's if he's not holding somebody back right now then just like take a deep breath if he was actually holding back at bats from Colt Keith or Jay Hen. Yeah, you know, which
1: and some people would argue he is. I again, I'm not in favor of that. And Malloy's on the injured list right now. I went to Toledo mainly to talk to Malloy. He went on the injured list the night before, and this is the fun thing now. If you remember, like Colt Keith had the undisclosed injury for a few days when he was in Double A. Like if a prospect gets hurt, it's like it cannot be mentioned. There was no sight of Malloy. The line I got was, oh, it could be anything. It could be his hand. It could be his foot. <laughs> could be his. It could be anything.
0: I was like, all right, I just cool. <laughs> Thanks, bro. <laughs> Whew. Okay, well, speaking of deep breaths, uh, I, I was you know, it's funny, I was we were going over like our topics before we pressed record and I was like, I think there's something to say about hobby bias and you know, I think it might be some good content and you were like, Well, hobby's always good content and here we are. Uh Ended the week not so hot for Javi like last week. And then, you know, he gets his mental day of rest. And it, it kind of took me back. Now, obviously, there wasn't, like, a, a base running mishap, like, in Toronto in April. But it kind of took me back to that when he got, like, the, the next day off or whatever. And he came back, and he really did kind of seem like a refreshed version of Javier or Baez. And I would say the same thing happened this week. He doesn't play Monday. He gets his kind of day off. And since then, now this is entering Saturday. We are recording this Saturday before the game because on Sunday I have a work uh a work travel trip. So I'll be out of commission. So that's why we're recording this right now. Great timing with the trade deadline coming up, I know. Uh so Hobby Bias, he's got seventeen plate appearances, fifteen at bats. So he's got Two walks in there. Six of 15. That's a double, a triple, a home run. Like I said, two walks and two stolen bases. Seems to me to be pretty refreshed. Pretty refreshed version of Javier Baez. Obviously not a perfect player. Obviously an up and down guy. But it just seems to me that the ire that goes toward him is obviously, like, you know, that's what the money's for. You get the big contract, you get blamed for a lot. I understand all that. But if we're just going to, if we're going to have, like, some higher-level thinking, I think you just got to, you, the general fan who just loves to crap on Javi all the time, I think you just got to, you just got to let it go. You got to understand where, like, Javi is Javi. He's going to have these up and downs. He is far from the most destructive aspect of this franchise right now. Far from it. Like, the contract's not going to look so pretty in a couple of years. We understand that. By the way, Anthony Rizzo ain't hit a home run in, like, what, two months? Like, we, we talked about Correa. We talked about Lindor. We talked about Trevor Story. Like... There's a whole crop of, like, marquee-slash-name guys that are kind of faltering. I mean, do you want Giancarlo Stanton's $100 million old over the next, like, four years or whatever? Like, it's okay. The Javi Baez thing is going to—how do I best say this? It's not going to be the prettiest thing on the planet as he gets older. But you know what? Like, that's that's just part of it. It's baked into the cake. He's not going to be your biggest problem in three years. If, if in three years this team is not like knocking on the door for like multiple round playoff success, guess what? It's not going to be because a Javi buy is alone. It's going to be because torque never developed, because Riley Green plateaued, because Colt Keith turns out he can't hit in the major leagues, or Sky Harris can't actually develop talent, or AJ Hinch got fed up and left, or something like. There's going to be like a list of items that would be the cause of it, and Javi buys would not be at the top. You can still build your team around having hobby Baez over the next couple years as your shortstop. And I would point out, again, we haven't made this point in a while, Cody. But for everyone who complains about Javier or Baez. Like, do you not remember how just god-awful that position was for years prior? Like, uh, Like, there's... So at least some form of improvement that has been made to the position since we first started doing this podcast. And so I just think if that if you're going to let him affect your mood that much, you just got to relax a little bit because it's not going to be it's not going to be that big of a problem or you know, even part of the solution. He's just going to be there. Either way, around this team that either grows or doesn't grow. And he's still a positive influence, I believe. So that's just like my like hobby hot take there for a second. I just think you I just think people just gotta relax. We know what it is. He's been the exact same the exact player we thought he would be. And he actually has made improvements, like to his approach. And you know, like if you just wanna look at the TikTok version of his swing and laugh about it, all right, that's fine. Anyway, I guess you've never made an error in your job that was dumb. Sorry. Uh
1: Yeah, like I think we've defended Javi Baez a lot on this podcast. I don't agree with everything you said. I think if a lot of us made the same terrible mistake in our jobs every single day, it would not fly. No, that's not an apple-to-apples comparison. Javi Baez does a lot of other things that make him a major league shortstop. He's uh, 0.9 war right now, which isn't great. Ranks 17th among major league shortstops. Doesn't mean he should lose his job or whatever, like some of the, the hot takes I see on Twitter, but... You expected, like this is I said weeks ago, you expect a little more out of that contract and you're, you're probably not going to get it. And Tigers fans are going to either, you have two choices. You can be pissed off every single day or you can accept it and realize you still have a pretty good major league shortstop. Just not the top 10 guy yet. You hoped you were getting now dose of realism bias has a 68 OPS plus he's been really, really bad at the plate. Nico Goodrum in 2021, an 81 OPS plus. Avi Baez offensively has been worse than Nico Goodrum this year. Defensively, he's pretty good, though. Uh, third among Major League shortstops and outs above average. If not for Wander Franco, he would have a real shot at winning an AL gold glove this year. Um, but I worry, man, like you talk about what this is going to look like in a couple more years. I think that's where I really worry. I, I worry about how this guy is aging. So this is calling card. The thing that got him by, the thing that let him live with a lot of these peaks and valleys and ups and downs, was slugging against fastballs. That's where he made a lot of his money. If you made a mistake with a fastball, Javi Baez was probably going to hit it out of the park. Well, this, this season, he's hitting only 204 against fastballs. He has only one home run against a fastball, a 261 slugging percentage. He's just not getting around. He's late more often. Uh, I don't know if his bat speed is actually slowed or or whatever, but the surface explanation there would seem to be he's getting older and he's not getting around on the fastball as well. And if that's happening now, that's a tough thing to correct. We've seen it with Jonathan Scope and Miguel Cabrera. And it's kind of like once you lose that hand speed, man, it doesn't just magically come back one of these days. You can tweak your approach. I mean, I I think I've seen the argument out there is like, is Javi tweaking his approach a bad thing? Should he go back to striking out more? Because he was hitting for more power when he was striking out more. I think that's kind of an interesting argument. Uh, We talk about, you know, complain about the strikeouts. He's still striking out at, 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 I believe, the lowest rate of his career. Um, But this has never really seemed to me like a player who was going to age well into his 30s. And unfortunately, I think that has shown up a little quicker than Tigers fans might have hoped.
0: All those points are valid. It's just my ma- my big thing is that it's, I, again, we th- we're we all the stars of our own story, right? And our team is the dumbest team when they do something or whatever. And the these issues, like I said with Maton, every team has a Maton. Like there are a lot of guys that are dealing with like a hobby bias or a lot of teams that are dealing with a, a hobby bias type situation. And you wanted the team to spend and they did. And it's like I said yesterday or a couple weeks ago about his contract. It's like, it's, he's overpaid, but he's not that overpaid in relative to ma- reaching market at the time that he, that he went to market as a free agent. So I don't know. My big thing is just like, it's gonna, it could potentially get ugly, but the complaints aren't like people thinking about what he's going to look like at 33. The complaints are this guy is trash. And like, he, shouldn't be a major league baseball player. And like, it's just, he, he gets the widest range of, of, of opinions about him, which, uh, it's probably well, funny. He because always says for
1: that exact reason.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, let's kind of transition, uh, Cody to a story that you, uh, recently published. We hadn't talked about this a lot. We hadn't talked about the new Comerica park. I think the, really the only times we really mentioned it were like in regards to Riley Green's stress fracture, reaction, reaction, fracture, whatever injury. And like the idea of like, you know, this is why they did is to preserve, you know, some of your best players. But we always knew you kind of had to wait out a, a certain period of time to try to make some sort of judgment about whether it's made an impact on the game And you wrote about it, and and also with City Field, and and over there at Camden Yards, and and Rogers Center. What did you find about these teams that are tweaking, and by the way, in different ways, which I think is great for the game, kind of tweaking with their ballparks to try to make some sort of statistical impact on the game, uh, and whether that's kind of really played itself out statistically, whereas layman terms, you would just think, oh yeah, America is going to be more home runs or there's going to be less over there in Baltimore or, you know, whatever, like have have some of these things kind of played out as expected.
1: Yeah. Like a, like a quick programming note, just to be transparent with you. My, my job's changing a little bit at the athletic. I'm going to be writing a lot more stories kind of like this um, with a little bit more of a national focus or more of an enterprise story. It's going to be a little less day-to-day Tigers coverage on the site. Um, Part of a news enterprise team that is going to be writing some really cool stories, though. I think we're going to people like Evan Trelick and Andy McCullough, and I I think our baseball coverage is going to be as strong as ever. Um, And I'm still going to be at Comerica Park every day and and, uh, writing some big-picture Tigers stuff. So, big-picture Tigers stuff, Comerica Park. More than halfway through the season, how's it playing? I think a lot like what we expected, like what Scott Harris said at the time. We want to make it a little bit more of a fair environment, a little bit less of an intimidating environment for hitters, but we don't want to fundamentally change the character of the park. Well, home runs are up a little bit. Runs are pretty stable compared to recent history. Uh, You can go look at this on Baseball Savant, and you'll see the park really hasn't changed very much. The one number that is wildly different is triples. And I find, found this really interesting. Comerica Park used to be the best triples park in baseball. I think uh, three years running from 19 to 21, the best park for triples in Major League Baseball has a long history. It's, it's played like that its entire existence. It's because you had these big, spacious gaps. Um, most teams that have changed their park dimensions have found an inverse relationship between home runs and triples. Makes sense if you think about it. You bring in the walls, kind of a little less room for triples. I think lowering the walls at Comerica Park probably has a lot to do with it. Think about that that right center field gap, and when that wall used to be high, if a ball bounces off that wall and the fielder doesn't get to it, it's bouncing several feet away from the fielder. We saw a lot of triples like that. That doesn't really happen anymore. Um, At City Field, they brought in the right field gap big time. It's led to an increase in home runs and a decrease in triples. So similar uh, story at Comerica. However, the decline in triples, it's now slightly below league average this year, uh, has not inhibited offense, I think, because of the slight uptick in home runs. It reminds you, I think, how valuable the home run is uh, in the fact that it can change the scoreboard. So that's kind of the extent of what we know. It's still early. Park factors generally analyzed in three-year rolling windows um, because these things can take a while to stabilize. I actually have a hunch triples might increase a little bit. Um, I don't think it was meant to be this drastic of a change. Park factor of 160 last year, park factor of 95 this year. So 100 is the league average there. Otherwise, no, I think it's about what we expected. And I don't think anyone, uh, unless you're like Robbie Grossman, uh, has actual complaints. The parks you know seems to be improved we have seen a little more in, in excitement at the wall but nothing is super different about America the way say Baltimore is a totally different park now and the wall and left field at Camden Yards is kind of ridiculous it looks stupid it's killing home runs but the Orioles <laughs> did it to kill home runs thinking we got a young team with some speed and some pitching and uh, although it's not the most aesthetically pleasing way of altering a ballpark it it's working for the Orioles they knew what they were doing I think when they when they uh created a Baltimore out in left field
0: yeah and you know your story you talked about like how much is it being talked about I guess it it, it just kind of seems like a wash in terms of how much it is it's on the players minds right it just it doesn't really yeah
1: which was it doesn't surprise me I mean I think it's one of those things that I mean, really, like throughout the history of the park, for as much as people have complained about it, you don't think about it except for when there's a fly ball at the morning track. Then you're like, oh, the, the park, you know, otherwise, does it, does it really ever enter your mind?
0: This would have been a home run and, you know, yeah, 22. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um
1: yeah. And, and it seems like, yeah, like play, because it's not playing as a fundamentally different park players don't really seem phased by it unless there's a circumstance like that that comes up jake rogers joke like he gets one to the, the track ah should have brought him in five more feet you know but I, I i didn't sense opinions from players are very strong which makes sense because it's pretty similar park to what it was before
0: it'll be funny to, it'll be fun to like look at the numbers in a couple months given the you know Michigan climate right we are
1: still entering like what should be kind of the best hitting time of the year so things might might adjust a little bit more um, in the next couple months.
0: Huh. All right, Cody. Uh, we asked for some questions for a mailbag, and we got some good ones. I only had to ask once, and we got some good topics that, uh, that I was like, I don't really need to ask the second time. So thank you, everybody, who submitted questions. And I just want to we, – we mentioned this earlier, so we'll kind of start with the ones that we kind of touched on earlier. You mentioned Jackson Job getting into Keith Law's uh, Good Graces and – Seems to be in some good pitching graces right now. Uh, this is entering Saturday. He's pitched 14.1 innings. Obviously, they're ramping him up or whatever from his... What was it? A herniated disc? Is that uh, what it was, lower
1: again? lumbar spine strain. I don't really know what that is, but that's what it was called.
0: Doesn't sound that fun. <laughs> uh, but 14 innings, 1.88 ERA, and 17 strikeouts. So the The question was, why aren't we talking about the last two first round picks essentially? so jackson job and 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 jace Young. Jace Young in West Michigan is hitting two forty eight. He's got thirteen home runs this year and uh, three seventy four on base. Uh, the Jace Young one is more interesting to me because he was a college player who all he did was rake in the big twelve, who which is, you know, and Texas Tech's a really good program, and the Big 12 is a pretty dang good baseball conference. And this guy was talked about in higher regards than Josh, and he's, I would say, a little bit behind pace of what Josh was coming out of Texas Tech, getting all the way up to the majors with the Rangers. Not too far behind, but he's a little bit behind pace. And he's also a guy that there's not, like, a fit for him, we, we talked about a million guys with the offense, defense. You know, where are you going to play him? uh He's got to work on that stuff too while also trying to figure out how to be a professional hitter. So I I would kind of wager for Jace, and I'm not going to pretend like I've watched a lot of his at-bats in West Michigan or whatever, but I would wager he's a guy that want, it'll, he's going to be a slow starter and then he's going to get on an accelerated plane because when, when he can just kind of... When he doesn't have to worry about two things, he can just worry about one thing, then he's going to kind of shoot up a little bit. And who knows what kind of major leaguer he will or will not be. But that bat plays, and once he kind of can get more comfortable again, first full professional season here, like I think he'll shoot up a little bit higher and we'll talk about him a lot more Like by this time next year. That's just kind of like my opinion. And then Jackson Job is another one who, you know, if he could just be healthy for a whole year, uh you know the potential is there as much as we lament the pick the potential is there and if sky harris believes in jackson job that will affect his moves over the next offseason or two so
1: yeah i'm really interested to see what the rest of this year holds for job health is going to be the big question but like i mentioned earlier everything i'm hearing man some some pretty rave reviews just about how his sheer stuff is looking so let's get him up to West Michigan, if he's healthy, I'd, I'd like to see him finish the year in Erie. See how his stuff plays against a little better hitting. Um, but right now his stock is trending up. And I think it hasn't been talked about that much because he was injured and because he's still only thrown 14 innings. But let's keep an eye on Jackson Job. We might we might be talking about him in pretty high regard by the end of the year. Jace Young sitting 248. I think I look at his numbers. The one thing I would have expected was... Um, better hitting for average. Now he is you know, 374 on base, 13 home runs, almost a little more power than maybe would have been expected. But his calling card was really supposed to be hitting for average. Um, We haven't seen a ton of that yet. There are still, you look at the numbers, like 829 OPS. They're the makings of a hitter in here. So I think that's encouraging. Um, It seems like he hasn't quite been able to get over that plateau of getting promoted to double A though this year there a couple times he got hot and you thought maybe it was coming and then he he cooled back off and now you look well hitting 248 is there is there any sense in promoting him to double A that's a real question so we'll see what happens with that I also talked to someone pretty knowledgeable a while back and was like look you got Malloy and you got Keith and you got Young and they can all kind of hit and none of them can field I was like you really need if you just have one of those guys be able to play you know, third or second, you can feel pretty good. Uh, and this person was like, well, I wouldn't bet on Young being being the one who can do that. And I was like, Ew. it's not really what I wanted to hear, but especially because I think Malloy is is not a very good defender at all. So um, defense also remains a huge pressing question for Jace Young going forward.
0: Yeah, I mean, I could see him getting that double-A promotion at the end as sort yeah. of a uh... – symbolic gesture or whatever. So maybe that's maybe that's on the horizon. That question came from Tom Utley. Uh so okay, uh let's see. A little trade deadline question and we talked about this a little bit. We can we can go a little bit further from uh Chris Eckenweiler. I hope I say that correctly. Uh basically free and we talked about free agency next year, not so hot in terms of uh who's available. So basically his question is, in some of these trades, conceivably, like if you trade and you trade Eduardo, the idea being that you get guys who could help the team next year. I think that would be the overall goal. I don't know if you're looking for—like, what, what, what do you think? Do you think Sky Harris is going to take such a long-term view that he'll like the key aspect of the trade to be someone that's a high-A player? maybe a double-A player, or is it, or is, or is, is he going to look at this as like, I need I need as many guys that potentially could be helping the team next year just so we can kind of figure out where we're at, or is it a case-by-case case basis? Because I think there's an argument for yeah, both. Yeah, this argument is for both.
1: one I wish we could have Scott on here and give him some truth serum and hear what he actually thinks, because I don't know. I think right now a lot of the signs are pointing toward wanting guys who are pretty close to the major leagues, but they're also... A lot of signs that Scott Harris is in real no no real hurry to build this organization, and you could argue the smartest way to make a trade is to not make it with timelines in mind. Like, you could get a guy who's in AAA A and can play in the big leagues next year, but if the better overall prospect is a High A player, well, you should probably make the trade for the High A player. So, I I honestly think just getting a feel for Scott I think that's more how he will operate I think you'd probably prefer guys who are pretty close to the big leagues but I don't think that he's going to be dead set on that at the deadline um, but again a, a little bit hard to say I think that's a really good question and that's another one that could post trade deadline give us some insight into what Scott Harris actually views as the timeline for contending in this organization I think you need organizational depth as much as anything. You do have some guys who can play in the big leagues next year, and Malloy and Keith, Parker Meadows. So can you backfill your minor league system with some other guys who are going to be real prospects? There's an argument that maybe that is the better thing to do. Uh, So now that I talk this out a little more, I'm actually actually less sold (laughs) on the, like, you got to get guys who are close to the majors than I was like 20 minutes ago.
0: (laughs) Fair, fair. Uh, and and uh, I'll I'll go back to like the the Jay Hen and the and the Keith and the and and the young thing. It's like the bottom line is like n- the chances are better that none of those guys hit than all of them hit. Right. Yeah. So like you just gotta. It's kind of like a overly simplistic thing to say, but you just got to get bodies. You just oh, got to yeah, get up, yeah. bites of that apple of guys. I think that's you know? the bottom
1: line. Your system needs more talent, man. You have a bottom third farm system, and you have a bottom third offense in the major leagues. You got to get more talent. I don't know how much it really matters what that talent looks like or how old that talent is or whatever. You got to find some ways to get dudes into your system. So that's why I'm a big proponent of trading Lorenzen and trading Eduardo. And, um... The more I talk about it, not a huge proponent of how close a player is to the majors in terms of a, a return for those trades.
0: All right, real quick from uh Blake on Twitter, maybe B Lake, Capital B Lake. L in there. I he's like, Why not re sign Lorenzen? I we talked about it last week, but Basically, the the thought process is is that there you're not gonna get a better use out of the asset than signing him to a one year deal in free agency. Him becoming an all star, him becoming hot at the break. He's gonna th- next year he'll be 32 years old. Uh, you given his the trajectory of his career, I'm not sure we could like fully scope it out moving forward. Like what he'll be in a couple years, you know. Uh, it just seems like everything is lined up perfectly to be able to get a solid return for Lorenzen. If you wanted to re-sign him to, you know, a reasonable contract that's not that much different than what he signed this year, bump him a couple mil, player option, you could. But is that helping the the health of your organization all that much? As much as I yeah. it seems like Michael Lorenzen's a great family man, it just doesn't. I just don't know if if the net benefit is better than trying to, like you said, like infuse your system with some talent. And again, you signed this guy to do exactly what he's done. It would probably be a missed opportunity to not trade him for something.
1: That's how I feel about it. There's a long history of, of, uh, you know, Tigers pitchers who weren't traded at their peak value and it didn't end well. And now you got a guy who's at his peak value. You sure you want to hold on to him? Now he's done some good things. He does seem like the type of guy who would like to probably stay, like be more open to staying in Detroit than, than some. He's had the best year of his career here. He talks very highly of the staff. The Tigers have invested in him, and he's invested in them in them back, and it's worked out. That's like how you how you draw it up. Uh, so I don't know if you went to Michael Lorenzen and you're like, hey man, want to take uh, one plus you know one year plus a player option, ten mil a year. What do you think? You know, if he agreed to that, I might feel a little differently. But as I said last week, if I'm Michael Lorenzen's agent and I get approached with that offer, I'm saying, hell no, my guy was just an all-star and he's pitching better than ever after the all-star break. We're trying to get this guy like three years, 45 in free agency or something, Mm. you know, like if you really believe in your client and you believe in the way he's throwing right now, I think you got to advise him to not listen to a damn thing until the off season. I don't know. Like it's it's different case to case. We saw Jonathan scope, uh, want to stay in Detroit and sign that deal. That was kind of different. Scope was a position player who had already tested free agency and had treated him very well. And now we saw how that played out. Like, um, I think it's, I think it's different for pitchers. I think there's some money to be made, man. So, and if I'm the tiger's, do you really feel confident throwing 345 or you know something like that at Lorenzen right now like when again you could just go if you really believe you're great at finding talent go find yourself another Mike Lorenzen next year
0: and this is his probably only opportunity this year this is
1: chance to get to, paid to, man at 30, 30 31 bag, 32 you know.
0: yeah chances are he's not going to he's not going to get a contract that sniffs 50 million dollars after yeah. this year. Which you know? I, I, like I guess
1: so. so maybe there'd be a rationale there for him like if the tigers were to give him two years like maybe take that while you can but again he's his value is increasing so rapidly right now that uh that I don't think you know if I were him I wouldn't want to settle. I'd want to bet on myself a little bit like they let, will see what I might really be worth in two more months.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, we got a question from the human jump rope. So hey, that's pretty cool. All right. Human, I don't human even know what rope. that
1: means, but I'm trying to think of well, that right uh, now. Like does it mean people <laughs> just throw you around, bro?
0: Come on. I don't know, but it got a good question. Right. So if the human jump rope is a person who gives good questions, then you know, aspire to be that. Basically we hear advance I'm summarizing the question. We hear about advancements in player development. But basically, is there anything that you can share that, like, goes into that? Like, like that, anything that we could kind of hang on to with, like, all right, well, Jace Young will figure it out. Colt Keith is, this is why he's, like, ascended so much. This is why we can have faith in Max Clark, you know, with the plan or whatever. Is there anything tangible out there so early into this tight-lipped, scott harris regime. yeah
1: i i always hate these questions because it makes me feel like a bad reporter but the reality is like (laughs) the, the regime treats all this stuff as a state secret and they really don't want people to know what they're doing in the realms of player development so that leads to me like repeating the same stuff like well they're using more technology i mean we've seen it in minor league minicamp just the the drills are different and more creative you had angled bp and yeah, Does that actually mean you're going to develop better players? Like, no, there are a million hitting gurus out there with weird drills, and some of them help, and some of them don't. But I think overall, I mean, again, it goes back to the staff that was hired. A lot of these guys came over from the Dodgers system, where we're otherwise well-regarded in baseball. You hired bright, somewhat younger, forward-thinking minds to run your player development system as opposed to... Um, the Dave Littlefields of the world who were in charge of this before, I think even without knowing a ton, a ton of the details, that's always given me more faith in these guys. And I think we can already see some returns of players who have, uh, ticked up throughout their time in the system. Just in the last two years, I wish I could give you more tangible examples, man, but team doesn't want us knowing these things
0: yeah I mean, I would say there's a more holistic approach to this than previous, just based on what I read and anecdotes that I hear and all that stuff. And um there's exa- there's there seems to be more of a deeper generated plan. i mean at, I, at, think, at, I think I think pitching
1: play. is like you can just look at sheer numbers and sheer arsenals and see man they they tweak pitchers kind of a lot in terms of, hey, ditch this pitch, or hey, we want you to add a cutter. Like We're seeing that a lot. We've seen it from guys who've already made it to the big leagues, like Brendan White. We're seeing Jackson Job now throwing a, a tight, almost a cutter and a sweeper. Um, we're seeing pitching coaches who are really smart and who look at the data and figure out how to best use a guy's strengths. That's something that has been very apparent we've seen it with with, host guys. with the army yeah mechanically we're seeing more of that i think since the the hiring of robin lund it doesn't always work out like joey wince everyone kind of thought would have a big year and he was really bad but we've seen a lot of other guys both at the major league level and in the minor league level um, improve through some tweaks they've made with the help of player development
0: all right, we'll wrap up with this question, my favorite question actually, and we got some good ones. But this is from Brian Mor Brian Morris- Morosi, sorry if I'm pronouncing that incorrectly. Uh, basically, where's the love for Eric Cost? So we've kind of, I say we, me, has kind of dinged Eric costs this guy is just you know his bat hasn't really been there this year, and we kind of just give him the offensive catcher label and. You know, Jake is this, you know, godsend uh, behind the plate defensively. And I think there's a lot of merit to some of those statements. But, Aircos has caught two no-hitters. He's caught, you know, according to this tweet, and I have no reason to say that uh, that he's wrong. Has caught uh, four games, four shutouts uh, this year. Is there, are, are, do we need to reassess air costs, is either framing, pitch calling game calling, like any of this stuff because there are are some or maybe just his relationship with pitchers or so is there something to the to like maybe he's better than we kind of give him credit for defensively or slash you know behind the plate mechanics and all that stuff.
1: Yeah, this question has kind of blown my mind a little bit. I was doing some research just before we started recording and I saw the question, I was like, No, what are you talking about? Like Haas is not a game good game caller. Haas is not a good defensive catcher. And then I go and look. Tigers pitchers have a three seven six ERA in games caught by Eric Haas. They have a four-eight seven ERA in games caught by Jake Rogers. More than a full run lower with Eric Haas. And then you go look at all the other uh metrics and it's like no Haas is not a good catcher he um but slightly below average in framing slightly below average in stealing kind of breaks even in blocking he's a little better of a framer than he was last year he's a little better of a blocker than he was last year but not a lot he's a worse thrower than he was last year you can't really quantify game calling but just my eye test, I, I really like when Jake gets on the same page with the guy and calls a really nice game. It seems like Haas, uh, I think, has made some questionable pitch calls at times. And yet, here we are, right? Like, there is something that seems, and this is with Jake getting the the lion's share of the Eduardo Rodriguez starts. So I'm going to go ask about this. Like, I'm going to try to prod, like, is this just a flaw in the numbers? Like, I don't have the FIP available by catcher. You know, was it some good luck on the part of Eric Or is there something to it? I really don't know, but uh, it's got me thinking because other than that ERA number, there's nothing in the numbers that su- suggest Eric Hos being a better defensive catcher. Um, yet he has gotten better results in the game.
0: It's very interesting. It's very very interesting. Um, and then we'll we'll wrap up here with you know we got a couple questions that are just about like you know kind of general like. You know, is there actually a record where they wouldn't trade Eduardo and and I guess we didn't touch on Eduardo all that much, but I just kind of, I just kind of feel like he's. I don't really think there's an actual record outside of going like undefeated. That uh, and someone else actually mentioned that on Twitter that like you're you just have to do the best thing for the healthy organization. I think that involves trading Eduardo. I think that involves trading michael lorenzen but it also doesn't mean you do it for peanuts so you know what, what i think that's scott harris's yeah. big thing is that i think you can sell to the organization the fans trading these guys but you can't you can't trade it for steel walker no offense to steel yeah. walker who just uh you and know, and so, that, like that, that, that might that's be the thing.
1: argument to come back to like should you get upper level guys lower level guys i guess maybe it feels a little more defensible a little less of a rebuilding-type trade if you get guys who you think are ready to play in the majors or will be part of next year's major league team. Um Scott Harris is paid to make some tough decisions, and I think this is going to be one of them. Yeah, I don't think it matters where you're really at in the standings. I don't think it's responsible to lie to yourself and say you have a good team. Like These Tigers just aren't a very good baseball team. Their run differential is... The last time I looked, it was third worst in, in the majors that may have changed a little bit in the last week or so. Like, there's just maybe you could catch lightning in a bottle and get on a run and, and make the, you know, the, the playoffs and lose in the first round. And then it's like the chances of that happening are very, very slim. I think fan graphs has a, like 3% or something like that, um, and then right, like this is your chance to get some assets. This is your chance to build a good organization by trading a top end starting pitcher and getting some guys in return. I I don't think there is a record uh that that should sway that opinion. I don't know if that's actually what Scott Harris thinks, but that's what I think.
0: Yeah. And just like the draft, we're gonna learn you No, know, so we had the two relieving reliever pitcher trades in the offseason. And then we had the draft, and now this trade deadline. We're slowly starting to kind of learn about Scott through his actions, and I'm very curious to see how he handles everything and, and then what, he's, what he says afterward and, and, and all that stuff. So really looking forward to that. Uh, one, one thing, thing you everybody... might be
1: learning about Scott Harris, like maybe this guy always has a little bit of a surprise up his sleeve. Like I think when he mm-hmm. traded, we knew Soto was a trade candidate, but remember when that Phillies trade happened and it was kind of like, Oh, didn't really see that coming. Oh, like the return probably looked better at the time than it does now, but it was like, oh, pretty good, pretty good trade. Uh, We saw it on draft night, maybe even just like some of the little Zach McKinstry, like two days before. He's made some savvy moves. It's not even about savvy. It's like, I think he's always got a little something that might not be on our radar, which again goes back you know, they're, they're pretty tight lipped these days. See if Scott has something that we might not, expect as much cooking for the trade deadline. Wouldn't that be fun?
0: Thanks for the content, Scott. Appreciate (laughs) it. Uh thanks everybody for submitting the questions. Following us on Twitter at CodyStavenhagen. I'm at Kieran underscore Steckley. Our pod pages at Turn Corner Pod. Subscribe to us on YouTube, Turn the Corner Podcast. Apple Spotify for this lovely audio version of this podcast, which we enjoy doing so much. And thank you everybody for being understanding of our crazy schedules and things like that and my my voice today, hope it held up well enough for everybody's uh, liking. So, for Cody Stabenhagen, I'm Kieran Steckley. Everybody, have a great week.